Fire in the Bank is a podcast hosted by Clayton Weir, co-founder and CEO at Fivespeak, a fintech that is enabling banks to provide contextualized, consumer-like experiences to their business clients. Clayton is a renowned thought leader in financial innovation and hits on the hottest topics in banking and finance and the future of payments. And he wants to know, if you ran the bank, what's the one thing you go all in on? Tune in to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's your host, Clayton Weir. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of If I Ran the Bank. I am your uh, your host, uh, Clayton Weir, and really excited to be here for another episode. This is the very first time on this show that I have had two guests at the same time. So we'll see if that uh, further exposes my weakness as a host, but it should be fun and pretty exciting. And um kind of in the theme i guess of new year and new you my two guests have just sort of reinvented themselves and and sort of relaunched with a a, a new mission in life but i'm uh super excited to have uh jeet and sue on, sorry jeet and sue on the show um do you ladies maybe want to introduce yourselves to the audience Thanks for having us here. Uh, I would say this is like our first um, podcast as guests as new company that we've just launched, um, Fathom Foresight. Um, super excited to kind of uh, tell everybody more about it. But just to just to give a hint, it's a knowledge as a service platform for in the fintech space and financial product innovation space. Um, super excited to be here. Uh, interesting. Um, I would say you do have a very interesting uh, series name, If I Were a Bank. So definitely looking forward to talking about that. And I'm Sue Britton. I, um, Jeet and I are co-founders. So uh, one one of the things that's different is uh, Jeet and I have co-founded this company. It is a new company um, for me. This is my second uh, my second startup um, after a long time working in corporate. And uh, um, we previously we were both part of a company called FinTech Growth Syndicate, which I founded in uh, the beginning of 2016, and um, and I guess exited. Um, uh, to a certain extent, um, but yeah, so, so I'm super, I mean, reinvent, we, we've reinvented everything. And so it's been a really, a really, um, you know, fun, uh, and not so fun experience as any new startup is <laughs> when you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess, you know, now that we're all working from home, we don't have to worry about, you know telling people where the bathroom is or anything like that, but we do, <laughs> we do have to, um, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of operational stuff um, for the last little while. So it's really nice to be out and launched. And I think Jet Jeet uh, said it really well um, as far as to uh, what we do. And, and just to give you a sense of who some of our clients are. Um, and I know you'll know some of these names, uh, Clayton, like um, Fi serves a client. Um, and uh, they've been they've been awesome to work with in Canada. I actually think they're like the giant fintech that nobody really knows in the Canadian market, um, which often happen happens in Canada, right? Because they're headquartered in in uh, the U.S. and it's a it's a different space. Um, Interact is a client. Um, you know, we've got a couple of the big consulting firms like EY. So, you know, we're off to a good start. And uh, yeah excited excited for the year i mean i'm not gonna lie i i felt 
probably over most of the pandemic that have been a little tuned out to Canada, just we've been so, you know, immersed in our business and all the, you know, all the disruption of, you know, your your life, right? And kind of living on the, as a Zoom box, but whatever. But like, what what, <laughs> and what are the highlights? Like if, if we had to condense the last 24 months down on, you know, our progress on consumer directed finance or what you think the health of the fintech ecosystem is or the you know innovation on banks, I, I would love like a couple anecdotes from each of you on, on where we're at or, you know, what's, what's the call notes in, in Canada? So 2022 is the year that um, the, I think you'll see every big Canadian financial institution will get ready for open banking. So, and, and, you know, it will be an industry led, you know, sort of um, approach uh, until something meaningful happens with, um, with our, our regulators in Canada. And, and, you know, I think, um, appointing the open banking lead is something that we think is imminent. Um, so we'll, we'll hear about that, but, and the banks know that. And so all of the big ones are, are getting ready. So they're getting, you know, they're getting their technology ready. They're getting their business strategy ready. Um, and, uh, we've already seen national bank come out with flanks with an open banking environment. Um, so that's, that's a big one. And I think that the smaller financial institutions are, you know, somewhere between, um, you know, I know it's happening, but I haven't the foggiest idea what to do. And, you know, and, and probably some of them quite, um, smart about it and, uh, already working on it. So that's one big thing, um, that will happen. And in the early stages, it'll be safer and more secure data sharing that, um, you know, even before regulation will be via APIs and instead of screen scraping. Um, and it will be, once the regulation comes into place, it'll be, you know, read access to all your online banking data and reciprocal data sharing, you know, as long as there's consent given. And I think that opens the doors to like a huge, huge amount of really interesting stuff. Um, and then do, do you want to talk about the payments? Yeah, payments is kind of um, the, uh, just because of the nature of payments, they're everywhere. But I would say it's more kind of payments and banking. Um, the two, I would say, most prominent and kind of horizontal things that we are watching are that at the front end, we are seeing uh, brands launch their banking products. So we're calling it bank um, banking on brands. Um, so what that means is... Um, doesn't matter what kind of product you offer to your customer. You might be a retailer or you might be a big tech giant uh, or a telco maybe. Um, you are trying to integrate banking products uh, into your journeys. One that that sort of gives um, your consumer a way to to sort of share and have that kind of banking financial relationship with you. Um, and the other is that you are getting all this amazing data from, from consumers' financial activity that you learn so much more about them. Um, so it, it's, it's also about sort of owning the consumer experience end-to-end. -end. Uh, so we are seeing that happen a lot in Canada. And uh, because uh, it's tough to get a banking license, so a lot of players are using wallet or prepaid card as a way to launch their sort of deposit-taking capability um, in the initial phases. And we have seen PC Financial, uh, the Loblaws company, do that uh, last year in a big, big way. 
Um, and this year, we know some of the big re- other big retailers uh, will be doing that. Um, and then some of the other brands are figuring out, still figuring out uh, a way to offer those uh, products like Hudson Bay has uh, partnered with Neo Financial to offer their credit card. Um, so that's what we are seeing at the front end. But because of this need of brands and everybody trying to get into fintech space, at the back end, uh, we are seeing a lot of activity in the BAS space. So banking as a service. Um, and what that means is a lot, there's a lot of need for um, companies to quickly launch these products and not to work with, let's say, the legal and compliance stuff of working with a bank and in, to, to sort of build their um, treasury and deposit accounts at the back end. And also all the middle stack of banking, like nobody wants to do that. They just want to offer uh, a, a prepaid or a wallet to their consumer. So uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, companies get into the BAS space, uh, a lot of fintechs. And then also we have seen Stripe do that in a big way with Shopify Balance. And then um, interestingly, some banks are also moving into this space. So which is, I think, I, we'll see in a much bigger way this year. Um, it did start last year, but I think this year will be a lot of growth Um in that space as well. The other payments trend probably Sue can talk a little more about is uh, Buy Now, Pay Later, which has sort of expanded um, and grown in Canada last year and definitely continuing to grow. Yeah, definitely. I'm, yeah. I mean, the thing, you know what the problem is, Clayton? There's, I've never seen this much uh, transformation in the Canadian market in my career. And and people who know me know I'm old, but, uh, like the RTR has to be built this year, right? It's supposed to launch next year. Um, the Bank of Canada is regulating payment service providers, and they're currently, you know, it well down the road on on getting getting that figured out how they're going to do it. And so I would expect we'll hear about um, that in more detail this year. Um, buy now, pay later. Companies like Affirm and Klarna are. are um, you know, a firm for sure because of, of their acquisition of Paybright um, has made tremendous inroads, you know, this year. And I think a lot of this is also um, like, you know, being driven by the need by consumers and businesses to get access to digital capabilities. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, gosh, small businesses, like, transforming um the way small businesses are served it's just a it's a create it's busy man (laughs) just as an anecdote of something that literally blew my mind that shouldn't because it's the way it should have worked probably for 10 years i renewed my mortgage in december and i did it i did no paper and only emails with the guy emailed me i asked him some questions i was actually kind of asynchronous on time zone and i got docusigns and it was like not probably wasn't the most beautiful but they had somehow figured out how to like it just all that stuff became so real that that was just the manifestation for me i I just remember the last time i did my mortgage it was unbelievably painful and i was like printing stuff out and scanning it back and or going to the branch and it just it was a docusign right and just that like even for that like the mandatory bare minimum like the floor had been raised yeah and it's and it's still not, it's not high enough, right? Like, I think there are just some new entrants in the mortgage space that are, are you know, creating some fear, you know, like Nesto and 
and others. And, you know, Neo plans to, to, you know, be a meaningful player in the mortgage space. And if you were buying a new house, you still would have had to go to your bank to get, you know, um, a bank draft in order to give money to, you know, your lawyer or your real estate agent or whatever. So there's still pieces that aren't, you know, automated, but it's, it, it is, you know, I, I, I mean, my experience with the banks, both as a small business and as a personal customer, um, it, uh, it really depends. It almost gets down to the individual banker in some ways, right. And their comfort level using technology, like, you know, I've dealt with recently dealt with a, a, a banker who, you know, even has technology on their desk and it's like a paperweight. <laughs> they don't know how to deal with it, right? I'm sure that is the case um, for for a lot of a lot of the financial institutions. Well, that makes sense, right? If you think about the inverse of that, if you're whatever, you know, TD Banking spend a bajillion dollars on ads and this, you know, this multi-year brand thing about your experience and how easy to work with. And then the fact that for them, no different than any bank, no different than any service business, your actual encapsulation of the TD brand in this case is whoever happens to be behind that desk. It's like, it's quite uneven, right? There's always going to be uneven. It's always going to be different. Whereas, you know, pleasant digital experiences are a lot more universally pleasant, right? Once they're, once they're good enough. So it does massive kind of brand value to that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then on the flip side, like, you know, I think I attribute the value to the brand that is delivering me the most value. And, you know, that, and, and that is something that I think has really, you know, um, accelerated very quickly in, in the last couple of years. Like I used to be the most loyal um, shopper to my, well, I'll, I'll say it. I was, I was like a lock, stock and barrel Loblaws shopper. And I haven't shopped at Loblaws in 18 months. Like it's, it through, you know, the, the app that worked best for me when I needed to figure out how the heck to get wine to get milk and toilet paper when the pandemic hit was this new app called Corner Shop, which is owned by Uber. And um, now I can choose the convenience of, you know, the time that I need something. Um, and then, you know, whatever, whatever store is going to get it to me fastest. And I, it's funny, like, I'm not sure I would have ever thought I would have been so fickle, but that's what's happening, right? Is like, it's, um, we are, we are time strapped, you know, convenient, hungry people, right? Or some of us are anyway. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're a delayed gratification person, I think you've shifted. The whole curve has shifted towards convenience, right? Severely and probably irrevocably. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like these behaviors are going to stick, the ones that we adopted uh, during the pandemic. More or less, they will. I mean, we have still, like, we are still loyal to certain brands, but think about the new generations. They are not really. Like, it's about where you get the value and the fastest way possible to get it. Um, so I think we'll see that in banking. We are already seeing it, I would say, with some of the challenger banks and the way um, they are offering their services. So hence, hence banks who are listening need to move fast. 
I do think that, um, like I'm kind of, I know your mantra is, um, you know, that you believe banks can innovate. And I do too. Like it actually is the thing that make, gets me out of bed in the morning and not just banks, but big companies. Like it, that's, that's the thing that, um, I'm always curious about, you know, when a customer wants something different, you know, how do you make it happen? And because you should, right? Like, you know, you should, you should evolve with what your customers' needs are. And I think that by and large, you know, I would say generally speaking, the sentiment amongst incumbents has changed. And the challenge, I think, unfortunately, and this is one of the things about Canada that I think is a drag um, is, you know, the, the, the we have some really, really big banks, you know, and so there aren't that many alternatives if you're a customer, um, you know, like with, with Corner Shop, they just came out of nowhere and they were a great alternative. But um, uh, for, you know, someone who's, you know, dealing with a, a, one of the big banks like that, it's going to take them a while to make the shifts that they need to and um like they want to do it but i don't know that there's a there's no smoking gun out there to help them move fast it is hard and i, I mean i have tremendous empathy towards the big banks and when you start to layer over all the kind of regulatory burdens in addition just to the cultural burdens of being big and having done things a certain way it's, it's really hard to move um but the smallest Big bank or the biggest small bank in Canada, uh, National Bank, is kind of interesting because you you partially hinted at this. But if you're if you two are here and saying the biggest thing that's good, the two biggest things that are going on is one is sort of open banking and one is banking as service. Uh, effectively, they have as a bank gotten into the fintech business on both of those trends, and arguably or in varying degrees of control of the biggest open banking fintech in Canada and maybe the most currently scaled banking as service fintech. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to kind of unpack that or talk about that more. It strikes me as really fascinating for a incumbent financial institution to be so aggressively in. And I don't know if you want to kind of paint a picture of what you think they're doing there or what you think that is on the whiteboard of National Bank, but it's, it's quite, quite bold. Well, the the Flinks um, folks are going to be really happy to hear you talk about them like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, we don't, um, you know, one of the things we have to do as a, as a company is, you know, not be, um, uh, we're not, we're not necessarily positive or negative about anybody um, in terms of like Flinks is a great company. We've known them. We've known them since their early, early days. I do think though, and they they have this open banking environment that they're testing with um, Mocha, and I was super impressed to see the top level of the bank, um, you know, like the C level um, person at National Bank stand beside the Flinks, you know, one of the Flinks um, execs, and and show everybody on this, you know, I think it was an open banking expo or something like that where they where they demoed the open banking environment and I, I like i think you know if i ran a bank i i would and this you know i'm i'm super partial to innovators because i think everybody likes to think that people in innovation are you know they've got the coolest job and and then they you know they play a game of whack-a-mole with them 
Um, and you know, like you get lots of bumps on the head as an innovator. It's not a, it's not a, it's not an awesome job because you're always beaten down by people who say, no, you can't do this. And yes, we've tried that. And what are you talking about? You don't know anything. Um, so to see national bank actually put their top, one of their top executives out there is to me indicative that they understand that this is something that, you know, is like foundationally supported by the executive team. So I'm, I'm pretty um, impressed with what they've done. Cause that's, that's the thing. Like banks are not, there's so many banks that are still under supporting their innovation people or their, you know, whatever you want to call it, labs, new ventures, whatever, or they're putting, they're keeping them in this stealth mode. Um, and man, like there's nothing worse <laughs> than pouring all your energy into trying to, you know, be more like Shopify um, when you're inside an incumbent and then have nobody, you know, at the top kind of um, giving you air cover or helping you succeed. Right. Like I can't, I, anyway, that's my view. Gee, what about you? I think I, I agree with it. Like national bank kind of doing all this. Um, you, you, you were talking about the stages of how the banks are moving towards the, whatever adopting fintech i think this is this is the next phase like where we will see sort of equal footing and we are already kind of having um with some of our clients discussions about like they really want fintechs to come and talk to them so the tables are turning in a way and i think we are moving towards a time where it'll it will be more of a equal footing and especially with some of the fintechs that have the amazing value proposition and banks just can't um, afford to, you know, miss those or like ignore them anymore. And this is definitely being driven by, yes, the the regulations, the regulatory stuff, but to a certain extent, what your consumer needs. Like as, as we were just talking about consumer behaviors, if you don't move fast, um, like in Asia, how we have seen is that people have moved towards uh, the these super payment apps like Alibaba and Paytm, which are different from banks. Um, like it's like cash, Square Cash in the uh, yeah in the US. I mean, it's just a friggin' phenomenal experience, right? That app is bizarre. I was in. I downloaded it in the fall when I was in the US, and it's there's four buttons on the bottom. One is like sends you ten bucks, and the one beside it is like buy bitcoin trade bitcoin yes and yes, then like trade yes, stocks right. and you're like this is a yeah. wildly amount of functionality in what app with five buttons like why and that, we were talking about this with them on a, on a one of our podcasts like you know there's no reason why you can't do that as a bank right like yeah. it's an experience that is drastically different but I mean, I learned about it from my Uber driver. Like a busker, like a street musician, will just have their cash app ID on their I know. Uh, guitar case and stuff. Like it's, it's, yeah. No, the US is that's a, probably one of the first times on retail banking where they've been materially ahead of us, right? Like you still, still can't use chip and pin or tap anywhere. You got to like yeah, sign yeah. the receipt <laughs> at the restaurant. But on this, these mega apps, they're good. I think the fifth thing you can do is you can order, you can design a a debit card in the app so you can yes customize yes. the metallic debit card artwork and like get it sent to you it's, it's, it's unbelievable my uber driver actually pulled over at to show me 
her card. Like it was like she was like so proud of it. And I mean, how do you get that kind of experience with a customer? And it's yeah. And there's there's five buttons. Like there's five buttons in this app, and you can perform almost any <laughs> imaginable financial transaction. Can I just add something though? Because like I know you, and I want you to. I want I want to move on, but I, like the only other thing I would say about Flinks and National Bank is they're not the only ones innovating in the space like even though they're out there they and i think more you know we have we have conversations like this all the time where it's like you know just just go out and say what you're doing because why are you keeping it in a secret i i think that there's you know this tendency of and i don't know if this is canadian um you know culture or if this is just incumbents where it's like it has to be perfectly baked before we're going to tell everybody what we're doing but um We've got lots, I mean, you know, Plaid and MX and even um, many, many others. Everyone's doing something. Um, and so I think I actually, you know, it's pretty impressive um, to see how much innovation is happening in open banking. No, to- totally. And I think just maybe just to, to put the bow on that conversation, going back to your, whatever the five steps of like fintech enlightenment are, it's almost like a Maslow's hierarchy. but. The final step, I think it's easy to say, is not like somewhere in the middle is partnering with or buying from fintechs. But the moment where you could legitimately say that you have lines of business that themselves are effectively, that is probably getting pretty close to the end of it. And I think that's what's unique about a couple of those things of National Bank is it's they're literally in the fintech business now, right? They might act through that open banking offer, might actually sell stuff to other financial institutions to consume that software, right? So something else you talked about on a couple different examples, Neo came up and, and I have no insight about that business, even though I actually know Andrew and, and went to school with him, but I've never talked to him about it. You know, you talked about some of these different irons they have in the fire. And it's really interesting because if you looked at that business just cursorily and you're like, well, it's another card plus app, Neobank, right? And it's hundred percent undifferentiated. But what I've really come to grok, and what's interesting is it's it's a fundamentally differentiated market opportunity because what I think again from the outside is the core insight is realistically they're pretty merchant centric in in a sense, right? So it seems like this like it's for you and it's the app, but I, I'm guessing all of the actual insights that led to that business came from the previous business, right? So. They the, the founders of this ran for the American was effectively Canada's DoorDash. They were in there seeing what the jobs to be done of all these small, you know, kind of retailers and, and merchants were. And if you start to walk that back, there's this magic circle of life between the small business owner and the retail consumer that effectively they're trading on both sides of that coin and making like it's the tide rises all boats. Like that's a, a fundamentally differentiated approach. And you guys kind of talked about some of the different unique things they have in the fire. It's, it's quite a unique to see that roll out um, quarter after quarter, what they're doing there. It's, I, I don't think there's something quite like that in the U.S. either, like uh, other than what Square maybe does. But oh, I have lots to say on that, but Jeet, you, uh, you, you go first. Oh, <laughs> I am a Neo fan, so I might be a little biased, but they definitely, um, to your point, are trading on both sides. And I think that's kind of the sort of holy grail that they've figured out. And I'm sure, uh, to your point, um, it does flow from the previous venture. Um, but they, like, they are, um, 
and I don't know, it's just the brand or I, I have a feeling it's actually there. They do are trying to thrive communities and, you know, local small businesses. And I think when it comes to Canada, having me being an immigrant and having stayed in other big um, cities in the world, I feel community has a lot of strong value proposition in Canada. So and they are they are growing those communities and those small businesses and merchants. Um, and I think it, they're literally like taking that take local and then make it global kind of thing. So where they started uh, in Calgary and now they have kind of expanded to more regions in Canada. So I think that's an example of like really giving value to to the community and how you can see tremendous like enormous amount of growth from that um and the kind of growth that they've seen honestly haven't seen a fintech grow like that and i have been tracking fintechs globally for about five years now the way they have grown and the number of employees that they have and number of offices that they've opened and funding wise as well um it is literally bank on steroids that that I see right now. And they do have big ambitions. They are trying to revolutionize banking in a big way. Um yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, Sue mentioned they they are thinking of getting into mortgages and other stuff. So I think they have and they already have <laughs> merchants as sort of um, loyal community. So probably makes it easier for to get them into um commercial banking as well. If I can add to that, I mean I think you know, there's some cynics out there who who would say, well, Neo grew so fast because they got this HBC deal and they took over, you know, their business, um, and so that's a big big chunk of the um, of the growth. But you know, I think I think what's more interesting, I mean, uh, Andrew is very clear about building the next, you know, better big bank, um, and so I think I think we will see them offer you know, many more products, but I also feel like this is a bit of a signal about the change that hap- that's happening in the retail space. And because if you look at, you know, like, think about how many companies are really transforming the way merchants and retailers are selling, right? Like, whether it's, you know, sort of the Shopify from a, you know, um, e-commerce perspective, or whether it's, you know, Klarna, like Klarna in a, in a, or Affirm, like they both have shopping apps where, you know, their customers who maybe started as a customer of an H&M or someone else who offers the buy now, pay later capabilities, that customer is now being somewhat led around by what, wherever Klarna is sending them. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, Neo, like, has this like amazing merchant you know audience and it so all of these things like are they becoming you know multi-sided marketplaces like who's gonna actually really be able to have the customer relationship in the end um <clears throat> like i think there's some there's something interesting there yeah and the probably one of the best historical analogies for something like that i mean we you know i think it's so easy to you know, everybody hates cards and card networks and interchange. But if you think back to the early days of like Bank of America, it's the exact same kind of thing, right? They walked in with this really material value proposition to the business owner and a concurrent material value proposition to you as the consumer. And it 
rose all boats, right? Like they were charging 8% interchange in those days. And it was still massively accretive because it solved all these really hard jobs for the business on the administrative side and then increase their addressable market material, right? By bringing these consumers in, it just kind of floats all boats. So it's kind of almost feels like a little bit of a echo of that model, right? Where you're fundamentally changing commerce by, by, you know, doing things for both sides of the transaction. And you're seeing the credit card companies kind of, like, I feel like they've seen, you know, they've indicated that they know that they are, they got to get beyond their core business, right? Like, you know, Finicity is, is up and running in the Canadian market um, and, you know, owned by MasterCard. And I don't know if Tink is going to, you know, go beyond Europe, um, uh, but is owned by Visa. And like, you're, you're definitely seeing them branch out into, you know, like, I just wonder if at the end of the day, like how many, how many, you know, companies can a merchant do business with, <laughs> right? Like, it's got to be freaking hard to be figuring out, okay, so I launched by no pay later. And then I got to, you know, kind of relaunch my website and I got to do a different payment solution. And now I got to deal with, you know, a, uh, maybe I should launch my own credit card. Like, wow, like you've got a whole lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, re- if you want to run a rewards program and all that, so you can totally see how like kind of putting that whole stack in a box is, is, is a real value proposition, but that's kind of some interesting notes. I think to sort of wrap up on So the, I mean, we are probably over, overstated runtime here, but is there any sort of closing thoughts from, from either of you? You want to get off your chest before we say goodnight? I would say, um, and this is shameless pitch into our new <laughs> venture. Uh, <laughs> as, as, a, as a co-founder now, I think I, I feel need to do that too but yeah everybody who's listening should go check out our website and um, reach out to us if you are a big bank or a fintech or a tech giant and looking to play big in the fintech space and trying to figure out what's happening in the canadian market um, both from the market activity and also from the regulation perspective um, do reach out to us and we'll be happy to help no, that's. I think that's. I think. I think that's right. And innovation is important. So, um, why don't we? Why don't we wrap it up there? Thank you both so much for coming. It's good to kind of touch base, especially on what's going on in Canada. I haven't been paying attention as closely as I should have. So, uh, I think this will be informative for everybody. But thanks again for your time, and best of luck with the with the new new venture.